Hello and welcome to another edition of The More the Merrier with Donna G. Coming up on today's show, the focus continues on the Toronto International Film Festival. You'll be hearing two interviews, one focused on a film that's part of the public portion of the festival, and another that's from the industry side of the festival. So the public side is what most of you know, but there is a sales and industry side to the festival, which is the buying and selling of film. It is a business. So the film that I will be talking about is The Umbrella Men, Escape from Robin Island. It's a sequel to The Umbrella Men, which was part of the public screenings a few years ago at TIFF. The Umbrella Men Escape from Robin Island is part of the industry portion of TIFF, and so it's not open to the public. I was able to screen the film, and I was able to talk to three of its cast members, Shamila Miller, Bronte Snell, and Keenan Arison. That will be later on in the show. Up first... I will be sharing an interview that I did with Pakistani Canadians Zarar Khan and Anam Abbas about their feature film that's part of the public side of TIFF in Flames. The film is set in Karachi and we had some interesting things to talk about between Zarar and Anam about the role of women in Karachi and also about the film itself. Just some housekeeping out of the way before I get to that interview though. My socials at TMTM with Donna G on Instagram, Facebook, no longer on the Bird app. You can also reach me www.ciut.fm 1 to 2 p.m. every Sunday. My contact details are also there. If you are on Instagram, my podcast can be accessed via the link in bio, and there are various platforms for you to listen on. As for Toronto Film Festival details, the website is tiff.net, T-I-F-F dot net. Their social, at T-I-F-F underscore net. Curated by the people, for the people. CIUT 89.5 FM is the sound of your city. You're listening to The More the Merrier with Donna G on CIUT 89.5 FM. Joining me right now from the Toronto International Film Festival are Zarar Khan and Anam Abbas from the film In Flames. Welcome Zarar and Anam. Thank you. Hey. You're both Pakistani Canadians. And I'm going to start with you uh, first, Zarar, uh, because you're also the writer of the film. Why did you decide to set the film in Karachi? Um, Karachi was the city I was born in, and then my family migrated to Canada when I was, I think, nine years old. And then uh, I moved back to Pakistan, actually, when I was, uh, I think, 16. So after spending some really formative years in Canada, in like the lovely suburbs of Mississauga, I I remember moving back and like seeing how my world as like a man was relatively unchanged, but the world of the women around me, like 
like their lives were almost flipped upside down in terms of, you know, their um, access, their like ability to experience life on their own terms. So I remember that being really foundational for me, that kind of change and also being fascinated by the city and, you know, by the culture there and by the society. And uh, I, I've been I've been working there for the last ten years, developing short films. I have a production company in Karachi as well as in Toronto, and uh, I made a short film in 2018 called Dia. And that film was initially uh, a drama about a young woman who has a secret boyfriend. And then when we were in the edit phase, you know, I realized that this is this is terrifying. What we're watching is so tense. I'm so uncomfortable. And I felt like I wanted to lean more into genres. I further developed it into a feature because I felt like there was so much more that I wasn't able to say in the medium of a short. And also the reality, the terror and the horror of the experiences of these characters was something that needed to be told and also lent itself to genre filmmaking. And genre is also a tool that I'm really excited by as a filmmaker. So all these worlds kind of collided into making in flames be the film that I knew I wanted to be the first debut film I put out into the world. Over to you, Anam, what's your relationship to uh, Karachi? Um, I grew up uh, in the north side of Pakistan, born and raised in Rawalpindi, and I moved to Karachi uh, in my 20s for work, and the first time I'd lived in Pakistan alone as a woman. Um, so Karachi was just like, I, I, I love that city so much, and I've experienced it as like, a professional living alone by herself surrounded by like a community of like female artists activists feminists um you know that city has given me so much um but I have also I was raised by a single mother in Rawalpindi so you know I, I have that experience that kind of mirrors uh, a little bit of what's in the film um so yeah I think I've um uh, I have I've seen the duality of Karachi you know your experience is interesting because it's so different from the central character of mm. Miriam and also of, of Miriam's mother. Um, Zarar, uh, for our listeners, please just give a short, uh, a brief synopsis of In Flames. Um, In Flames is a film about a mother and daughter who, after the death of the family patriarch, um, find themselves battling with ghosts of their past and their present. And in order to be in order for them to survive, they have to find strength in each other before these malevolent forces engulf them. And um, what Miriam experiences, let's just talk about the, you know, the issue of, of independence. We have um, Anam, the ex your executive producer, who, you know, lives alone in Karachi. And Anam's experience is so different from your central character of, of Miriam. Anam, what drew you to this project or were you and Zarar already uh, a working team? Um, Zarar's work really drew me to the project because um, I've been following uh, him as a creative since he was working in theater and just seeing, you know, every short that he was creating and how um, just his growth as, as a director and the various genres uh that the films played in was just very exciting to me. Um, and then the, uh, the short that kind of sort of was the inspiration for the feature I loved so much. Um, and so I, I really I jumped on this project. Um, and again, like I said, I grew up in a single, uh, with a single mother raising me, you know, I've 
I've seen her go through a lot of the stuff that uh, Bakhtavar's character in the film goes through. Um, and just like, you know, even for myself, even though I, I entered Karachi as a, you know, single professional woman, it was it was hard to find somebody to rent an apartment to me because I was a single woman looking for a place to live. Um, so, you know, uh, despite the context being different, I do deeply know what it's like to be a woman um, without the the so-called protection of a patriarch living in Pakistan. So it, it, the script very much spoke to me. There are, I don't mean to push what you should do next, but you have a story right here in, in um, the flip side of, of Miriam. Well, you know, side by side, the sister to your character of Miriam. I think that's Mariam's future, you know? Like when we're catching her, she's a young woman. She's, maybe she's becomes Anam in like another five years um because she has to you know from what she's been through and we catch her at such a vulnerable stage um but i hope for that character you know that all the ambitions and the freedoms uh that you know people have she's able to experience yes and one of the things that i appreciate about your film um is the fact that she's a woman you know, facing difficult situations. But there's a sense of hope with this film, which I don't often see in uh, Indian cinema, especially when it comes to women. And I thank you, thank you, thank you for that uh, scene uh, of her on on the open balcony. Uh, spoiler alert for anyone, um, but um, I actually absolutely love that scene. Getting back to, you know, the, the nature of the film, Zarar, uh, there's a moment in the film where Miriam falls in love and she's sitting on the bench with uh, the person that she loves and somebody comes along and says, sit further apart. Do you think this is a Bollywood movie? And I thought that moment was perfect. But do those things still happen in Karachi? Yes. Like, yeah. All the time. Every day. It's like, uh, so the way you're saying is like, duh. It's like, sorry. I mean, yeah. But... No, but that really gets it through to me that this really is um an everyday real issue. It's it's not it's not in there just uh for the sake of you know mentioning mentioning Bollywood films. So another thing that I appreciate I love your film, by the way. Thank you. I like it because um, it's a genre film, but it's a genre film that that I can watch. When people think horror, they have uh, you know, the automatic image of blood and gore rather than thinking about the horror of the situation as it's rooted in real life. And the horror of the situation for Miriam and her mother is that they don't have freedom of choice because the male head of the host household has died. So I see films um, like um, a little bit of Get Out, but more of a Nope. Um, uh, I love sort of Nope. In- yeah. God, I love that movie. Are those influences of yours? 100%. Well, I mean, Nope, not so much because I saw it like much later. 
Mm-hmm. But what I love about Nope is that like it's part sci-fi, part cowboy, part like a sibling relationship and such a warm sibling relationship. And it feels to me like the next step of genre cinema. And that's also what like I tried to do with In Flames, where you know, we have this coming of age, we have like it's briefly a rom-com, you know, before it goes back into like genre and using all of these different kind of genre bending and I think that's exciting because I think our audiences now are so intelligent. So if you play too much by the book, if it's too straightforward, I feel like as a viewer, as an audience member myself, I get bored. You know, I need stories to stay dynamic. I need them to keep me on my feet. And with these characters, you know, like the genre came from the reality, like you said, the storytelling of like them being told to pull apart, you know, that's something that used to happen to me in high school. Um, and still happens, you can see parks in South Asia that are being patrolled. So, so much of the horror and the genre elements are coming from real life stories that I I just pushed a little bit further um, because that's what excites me about like the medium of cinema. And I'm grateful that you said earlier that you see it as a film full of hope because that's what I want the audiences to take away, hope and resilience, you know? It's also beautifully filmed. Um, can you tell me about choosing your director of photography and can you say her, uh, her name for me please her name's Egol Nurbulatova and she's based out of Kazakhstan and it was really important to me to have a female DP because you know the film is about womanhood and the experience of womanhood and so the cinematographer the person who is the lens and the eye who captures everything really needed to be a woman and needed to identify in that gender and you know we were able through that to shoot scenes that would have been radically difficult to shoot in Pakistan by creating private sets where you know our talent felt secure by creating closed sets so you know the message of the film of resilience and inclusion is something both Anam and I it's fundamentally important to us in the making of the film as well as everybody who's behind the camera it's interesting that you had to consider the safety of your um of your crew um, by building, you know, uh, simulated sets to keep them safe. Um, that's very telling um, in terms of the state of Karachi. So you've got this, you know, sort of crackdown on, you know, morality or what some people call morality, but you also have the beauty of uh, Miriam on the back of a bicycle with her, you know, her uh, pastel clothing just blowing in the wind and it's absolutely gorgeous so thank you for choosing that dp yeah I'm, I'm happy she chose us and there's a whole different story about her getting involved in the film but it speaks to what anam was saying earlier about the duality of karachi you know there's love there's joy there's horror there's trauma they all coexist and that's something we wanted to show within flames and What's also this? the du- duality, sorry, of being a woman in in and in, in the world in Pakistan. Obviously, there's all these restrictions and all these like things to navigate. But like, of course, there's pockets of freedom and joy and community and like just us being whole people and not just victims of the patriarchy. You know, exactly. And I and, think and, see enough of that. Yeah, and your life um, resembles that, and um. It's like you're one of the pockets of free- you're you're one of the pockets that has the freedom, you know, and restricted areas. There's always pockets of freedom, and and uh, and your your life is is it. So, and um, the the role of executive producer 
takes many forms. Um, can you tell me more about your role um, in this filmmaking process? Sure. So I, I'm the lead producer, not the executive producer on the film. Um, and I, you know, I think it was really great to have Shad Joshi uh, come on board as an executive producer. Um, and he was advising on a lot of business affairs. And, I, you know, I've been working out of Pakistan for about a decade making films. I made two feature documentaries before, um, a web series, but short. So, like, you know, there's a lot a lot of work uh in the past but i hadn't worked necessarily on a canadian fiction film before i hadn't dealt with telefilm and um all these agencies that are so amazing and so supportive and we're so grateful in canada to have um so much public funding for the arts um so that it was definitely a challenge to navigate um, this new world for me but I was also working with Carol Naronha who's a Pakistani producer who's worked with Zarar in the past on his shorts um, and we had an amazing crew that again was like you know comprised of people who love cinema enough to work on an indie film budget um, you know the, the industry in Pakistan there isn't that in the community uh, it's very small most people work in work in commercials or or like you know the the mainstream cinema in Pakistan there'll be like three films a year that get like proper releases and have budgets um so a lot of it's a lot of the challenge of this film was crewing up you know and, and fine and carving out that community but that's you know a decade of work on our parts on the parts of Zarar, me Carol um, so this film really feels like a culmination of uh, all this community building that we're doing. And it's otherwise, I mean, if I feel like it's been smooth as butter. Me and Zara are very much like, um, you know, a very solid sort of relationship in terms of Zara's creative vision and me trusting it and us being just on the same page and like what we enjoy in cinema and what we hope for the work we create. In wrapping, I just want to ask, um, your film has been to Cannes, now it's at the Toronto International Film Festival. Um, Zohar, what was it like to receive that letter of acceptance? Stressful? Hugely stressful. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I'm always like, oh, sick, we got into Cannes. How are we going to get everyone to Cannes? You know? Um, I don't but... think we believed it for the first day. We're like, wait, what, was that an invitation? Yeah. <laughs> I mean... And you know, and now you're in Toronto. How does that feel to be in Toronto? Much more relaxing. Um, it just feels like we're bringing the film home to people who are already excited about it. And so many of our collaborators are, you know, this film we're screening at Scotiabank. I was doing post at Rolling Studios, which is just two blocks away. So it, it feels like a partial homecoming. The other homecoming will be when we finally show the film in Pakistan. But this film, this feels like we're fifty percent there, and already we had our P and I screening, and the responses have been so generous, and just it, it's it's definitely a different experience because Can was a pressure cooker, and you know, um, well, it feels like her. welcome home to both of you and to everyone uh, involved in the film, and thank you to Touchwood PR for linking all of us together. Enjoy your tiff. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.
And that was my interview with director Zawar Khan and producer Anam Ubas about their film In Flames, playing now at the Toronto International Film Festival. For scheduling details, www.tiff.net.
CIUT 89.5 FM, the sound of your city. Stream us anytime at www.ciut.fm. You're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM. This is Donna G, and you're listening to The More the Merrier. Joining me is the cast, three cast members from The Umbrella Men Escape from Robin Island. And if this title sounds familiar, then that's because I interviewed the director, John Barker, previously at TIFF about The Umbrella Men. I'm excited to talk to the cast about this sequel. I have with me Shamila Miller, Bronte Snell, and Keenan Arison. Shamila, I'm going to start. Oh, first of all, welcome all of you to my show. Hi. Yeah. Hello. Thank you. Hey. Thanks for having us. And welcome vicariously to Toronto. <laughs> Thank you. So, Shamila, I'm actually going to yeah. start with you. Um, you play uh, Keisha, not Kesha, <laughs> yeah. in yeah. the in the sequel. So, tell us what the sequel. Um, tell us what the Umbrella Men, the first one, was about, and then we'll get into the sequel. Yes. Well, we started uh, the Umbrella Men saga um, with the first film, The Umbrella Men, and um, in a nutshell, uh, these guys there's this club called the Gumma Club and it's a very um, prolific club within the Brook Cup um, in Cape Town. And um, unfortunately it's got some like debt issues and the guys have a very limited amount of time um, to pay the debt back to the bank um, because there's someone that wants to buy the building. There's a whole like form of gentrification going on within the community. And so these guys have a very limited amount of time to get um a bucket load of cash to the bank i think it's like like a week or something keenan um and um and they basically go on this journey um organizing a bank heist uh, to get the money really really quickly so uh there's a series of events of them planning this heist and executing a heist um at, at 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 a bank and um with lots of crazy adventures in between okay now uh tell for the listeners who haven't seen the the umbrella man uh set the scene about uh bocap and the importance well bocap is a like super super famous little community within cape town um it's right smack bang in the center of the city of cape town the mother city and um it's uh it's quite famous because of all the different color houses that are there and it's and it houses a very specific uh, Cape Malay community um and actually to this day the the broke up and a lot of the houses within has become a heritage site uh, so that people you know don't like tear it down and gentrify and stuff so um it's just one of those like beautiful communities and it, it, it looks like a work of art because you walk through it and everything is like all the houses are different colors and there's always like a vibrant energy to it there are always people in the streets singing and dancing um it's a really cool little little place over to keenan what is an yeah. umbrella what is an umbrella man well essentially an umbrella man are a 
a group of uh, minstrels or a troop of minstrels. And every year, without fail, um, there is a sort of iconic festival that happens, and it's called Tweedenivia, the second New Year. And this has been coming on for decades now, and it's a very, very popular festival that happens over a couple of days or for, I think, one day, maybe. Um, and what happens is that our umbrella men are part of a are these troops and uh, Jerome's father, our hero, uh, he had a partner that he had a fallout with and that was Tariq. And then Tariq decides to take, try and take over the Guma Club, which belongs to the umbrella men. And so the umbrella men have to par partner up and fight our villain Tariq to save the club in this beautiful setting of Boca. And Bronte, Tell me about um, your experience with the BOCAP. Have you been there? What was your experience in that location previously, before the Umbrella Men? Well, before the Umbrella Men, personally, I grew up in Cape Town. So I'm, I'm very familiar with the surrounds. Um, my grandfather is from um, District 6, which is down the road from BOCAP. Um, so my family is essentially from there. And I mean, everyone uh, in Cape Town knows the story of, of um, District 6 and those people being displaced during the apartheid era. So it's, I think Bukup was one of the, one of the few places that actually didn't get, the people didn't get displaced. So the Cape Malay community grew there. Um, it's, it was a group of, of lots, lots of different people actually. That, that lived within that community. So it's it's very dear to to the heart of Cape Town and the Cape Malay people. Um, and that was where they, the, the group and the minstrels would actually gather to practice to um, for the festival, Tweed and Um So that, that's my experience with it. So having to shoot this movie was, it was really, really surreal and, and full circle. Um, having my family, you know, being involved in something this iconic and getting to tell the story of the Cape Malay people and Cape Town and its heritage and history. So that stresses the importance of the the Goma Club and why the Umbrella Men um, try to save it. Um, I'm going to go back to Shamila now because uh, you, Shamila, you play uh Keisha, not Kesha, running joke in the yeah. film. And Bronte, you play Mila. But Shamila, uh, yes. introduce the audience to to your character and um, your sort of part in the heist. So in the first movie, um, Keisha gets introduced to the audience. Um, she's one of the people that works at the actual bank. Um, her and Jerome, she knows Jerome, our hero, from like high school days. Um, he was in a few grades above her. And like, that's how, you know, and everyone kind of knows each other in the community. But she works at the bank. And um, when Jerome starts doing his research and um, how they're going to get in there, how they're going to like through all the planning of the heist, they kind of go through the motions of um, getting together and falling in love. So she is basically the, the love interest of the film, um, which is why it gets complicated at the end because it's, you know, the bank that they're trying to pull a heist at, she actually works at. Uh, and so that was her role in the first movie. And then at the end, 
at the end she actually ends up saving the day and saving and saves uh all the guys like asses at the end at the end of the film because they kind of get stuck within the bank and she's the one that uh gets him out and um uh, and they end up getting away with the heist now they're on robin island uh keenan what was yeah. it like to shoot on robin island so <laughs> So we have to do a bit of, we have to swirl the magic of it. I mean, as, as films go, we, because Robin Island is such an iconic heritage site, it was, it was a lot of uh, sort of issues around getting permits and, and, and actually getting the crew to everybody, for everybody to go over and shoot there. So what our art department and our director and production designers did was create the the exact sort of uh, outer building and the look and the facade of Robin Island and the prison. And we ended up shooting on various locations throughout South Africa, um, throughout Cape Town, sorry, uh, to, to sort of emulate and, and have a look very similar to Robin Island. So unfortunately, I would have to say we didn't shoot there, even though we would have loved to. I, I wondered about that because I thought, how on earth did they get permission to shoot on Robin Island? So this we were close. We like we we, we close, yeah. I think yeah we were very close. I think we we almost had permission. It was like an 80-20 where we did have permission. And I think they they kind of called it a couple of weeks before shooting where they were just like it's just going to be too much to have an entire crew shooting in this heritage site. Um, and and you know it's it's it, so they, they they rather just pulled it. They were like, sorry, we 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 can't make it work. So it was unfortunate. I bet John had to you know backtrack and scramble to get things in place to you know resemble Robin Island. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Which is why I think our our art department and our production designers just did a a stunning job. I mean, you. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at a picture, if you look at a picture of Robin Island versus what we've got on screen. Yeah, I think it's pretty close. Bronte, I want to ask you about, um, don't spoil any magic for me, but did you actually uh, go in the water? Did you do any scuba diving? We did! Yay! Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Because we we uh, even did our own stunts. It was so fun. Uh, sorry, Keenan, Keenan, I had to ask because uh, Bronte and Shamila, they are the yeah. leaders um, in, in, in this heist. And you see the women planning. Um, it's like the lead character, Jerome, said, you know, this is what we need. And the girls, the women just said, we got it. And yeah. <laughs> they, di- they did it. So, uh, Bronte, tell me more about doing your own stunt. Well, John obviously gave us the option. He was like, we can get stunt doubles. You guys, you guys don't have to, you know, physically do all the active action and like swimming scenes. But Shamila and I were troopers, eh? We were like, we want to do it. And Jacques and Keenan also went for, um, we went for courses. We got uh, certified to do the scuba diving. So it, it, yeah, we were were prepared. And when the shooting day, when the shooting day came, well, we had to settle in at first, but we did amazingly. John was so happy with it. We gave them the shots um, and it was such an exhilarating experience. I mean, um, getting to go underneath, under the water, um, in full scuba gear, um, doing it all and acting, filming at the same time was crazy because this was 
the first time that John had ever done this, first time our DOP had ever shot um, underwater, we had um, a secondary crew that came in, second DOP that was under the water, camera guy that was just swimming there. It was, it was crazy. And I think we just had a lot of favor because we managed to get the shots and it was beautiful, even though it was our first time and, you know, they had to sort of figure out how we're going to do this, but it was great fun. Um, yeah, we managed to do it, right, Shamila? Yeah, we, we, we did. And, and yeah. honestly, like, I thought we were, like, we were so excited when John gave the question, when he was like, we can get stunt doubles and maybe just, and he was like, are you willing to? And Ron and I immediately we were like, no, we want to get scuba certified and we are going to do it ourselves. And then we were shooting um, in like autumn going into winter. And so it like, I was concerned about being cold, but even on the day, like the day before I was like, oh my gosh, it's going to be so cold. I'm going to be so stressed. I'm going to be in the water for eight hours. But then on the day, it actually ended up being so much fun. And we were just so grateful that we were like able to have this experience while working. Like who can say that like that is their job. So it was really cool. I can't believe you got scuba certified, but I'm so happy that you did. You did a great <laughs> job. And uh, Keenan, did you do any of your own stunts? Yeah, most of it. I think, yeah, most of it. I think there was a secondary sort of stunt crew that just shot B-roll. But yeah, you see us full, fully in scuba gear, running up and down dunes. <laughs> Singing uh, in the prison. <laughs> Yeah, breaking out of prison. Right. Thanks, ladies. Um, it's all us. Um, yeah. So it's really exciting. I think it was one of uh, one of the most exciting projects to work on. What was harder, uh, singing or the scuba? The scuba, for the sure. Scuba. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess the great shooting, shooting the singing scene. I mean, it's always nerve wracking to like put yourself on camera just be your soul. So um, I was always a bit, uh, I was so, I was, I think I went, I wasn't sleeping the night before because I was like, okay, I gotta, gotta hit it, gotta get it right. So, um, but yeah, the scuba was by far the worst. I mean, I had an incident of, uh, I think my, 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 my jacket, my buoyancy jacket didn't want to float and I, I ended up popping up every time. So um, <laughs> that wasn't fun. And uh, Shamil, I think you said it was a long day. Yeah. So, Keenan, you had a long day of your scuba suit uh, sort of not cooperating. No, no, no. Donna, it was a long day for me and Bronte. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say. The, the third person. Yeah, yeah. Like, we were in the water from a sunrise, and then the boys only joined us for, like, their shots just after lunchtime, like after we broke for lunch and came back. So they only did the second half of the day, not even the second half, like the last two hours of the day. So it was all, it was all the women in the water. Sorry, okay. Keenan, we're making you look a little bad. Yeah, but we did. Do yeah, I, I mean, I would, I would argue with it two hours, but okay. <laughs> Sorry, Keenan. But the, okay, the women... after lunch, after lunch, you were there. Yeah. Sorry, Keenan, there. but the women really do rule this field. And, no, hundred percent. Uh... Listen, hundred percent. It's 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 a it's action packed, and the ladies they take the lead by far, and um, it's just it's amazing, you know. So, um, I think the first film dealt with the guys and 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 sort of the ladies, if you will, as secondary characters. But in the second one, they full on take the lead and they uh, break our boys out of out of prison. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, that that was a fun thing about the about the like my, my character's arc. Um, in the first film, she was just the love interest, and well, not just the love interest, she was the love interest. And then in the second film, she kind of took like a leadership role. Um, and you know, we were we were just like strong women getting the plan together. We had a goal, and we'll break them out in prison. So to see that happen was was, was just so much fun to play that like strong That's leadership awesome. position. Bronte, do you yeah. have anything to add to that? Oh yeah, it was just so great getting to like reveal that there's so much more um, connected to our characters. Because all of a sudden, you know, um, Keisha whoops out this, you know, this notepad. She's got contacts. She's just the lady with a plan, and she can pull together a whole heist, you know, with with um, Auntie Val and myself, and we are just sorted. And it and it was. It was cool because you know what we had the background to share that in the first movie we got to know all these people that came on board and helped and became a part of the umbrella main so it was just a matter of getting the gang together again and planning the heist and and, and having the guts to just do it i mean because these are regular um women who are from the book up but you know what they have got the goal they will do it and and when they put their mind to something uh, they get it done Keenan, what was it like to reunite with uh, Auntie Val, as I always think of her? Oh, Auntie Val. No, she was, I mean, that's our matriarch, you know, so that home, she was, it was just lovely. I mean, I've worked with the actress June van Merch a few times, and she's just a lovely human being, but I think she's one of our greats in this country. So it's, it's you know, it's such an honor to be able to share screen with her. Um, but she's also taken that sort of motherly role, the matriarch, in this family of myth, of misfits. And um, it's always just a pleasure. A pot she smoking. Yeah, Auntie Val. No, yeah. I, I swear, we, we call her mom. We call her mom on set. So she, yeah, yeah she's just, yeah. she's her, yeah. her, her, She's her, even better in person. Oh, wow. She's such a cool person. Yeah, and she plays um, the aunt to the lead, Jerome. But, uh, you know, to watch her, um, you know, uh, smoking marijuana, it's just, and she's such a natural. That I think is, one of the funniest things in the film. Yeah, exactly. She's just so natural with it. I mean, she's she's not even a smoker, but listen, she took on that role, hey, and she took it seriously. Yeah. Um, every time she got to sit, she would just um, make eye contact with the props guy and reach out her hand, and, and he'd Put it, he put it straight in her hand and she'd be like, thank you. Now, now Auntie Val is here and she just <laughs> stopped smoking away. She's <laughs> oh, great. Um, getting back to uh, this film, they tried to, to save uh, the Goma, this sort of central cultural hub in the film. And um, they end up in Robin Island. Yeah. I don't know who wants to take this question, but can someone really speak to how important this club is to the lead character and the community? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, like I said, the Guma is essentially a home for misfits. I think Jerome's father, he started the Guma club. And so it is vitally that it, it's his home, it's his literal home. But because of the community that broke up is, everybody lives in everybody's home, if, if, if that makes any sense. Um, everybody lives in everybody else's home. Everybody raises everybody else's kids, if you know what I mean. 
Um, and, and like my character, Mortimer, he was adopted by Antigval, essentially, is what we sort of discovered as we go. <laughs> but so, so the, the Guma wasn't just a home for Jerome and, and, and something that his dad started for the Guma. It was something for the community, something that the, the kids, everybody who felt they didn't have a home outside could come to, learn to play a musical instrument, learn to sing and have feel a part of something that is greater than than just um, um, I guess the, the the club or the the team or the the group of minstrels. Bronte, yeah. you said your family um, is from that area. So, is there a place like that that your family has ever spoken about? Not exactly. I mean, my grandfather grew up there. Maybe Keenan can give you a better story because he grew up in the Boca. But my grandfather was from the Boca, and then. When the apartheid um, area X came into play, a lot of Cape Malay people were displaced and moved, had to move away from the Buka, from District 6. And so my grandfather's family actually moved out of there. So a lot of that heritage was unfortunately lost, which is really sad, but that is just the reality of, of apartheid. Keenan, do you want to share some yeah, of your um, story? I mean, yes, sure. Um, I yeah, growing up, you know, it's so weird because I, I grew up there, I went to school, primary school, if you will, I went to, um, I had family there, I still have family there, so to be able to shoot the film in a place like World Cup was, it was very surreal and sort of full circle for me, but to answer your question, there were so many places like the Guma back then, in the 60s, and this, before the Group Areas Act kicked in, um, places where people of, 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 all races could come and and it was music and it was food the smell of food and and just uh, um family life you know and and it was a, it was a great time to be alive so there was I, I think there were there were plenty it was bioscope cinemas everywhere so it was it's a bit unfortunate that the history itself had to get lost in that way um but uh, yeah i guess now all you have are cobblestone roads and colorful houses okay um that's unfortunate but it happens so often in so many I mean, places it is still a vibrant community um people when they see the movie and and they've drawn to it they're welcome to come to cape town the book cup yeah. is there they there will be an auntie on the corner selling cook sisters you you will smell the samosas in the air you can buy it there you'll see some of the the bands on the on the corner of the road playing their music it's still alive and well today. Um, it's just it's still really vibrant. Also, for anyone that like comes it to is. visit Cape Town, um, I feel like you you know how you do walking tours in in in, in cities. There's a there's a there's a tour in the Boer Cup itself, and I've done it. Um, it's a walking tour where they take you on the entire history of this little community, and it's only it really is only like a few roads um, up and across, and um, and then. After you do the walking tour, the guided tour, you go into someone's house that hosts you and um, they make you like a seven course meal of all of the food that is from that community, um, that is from like that is Cape Town food, Cape Malay food. And they take you through this journey. They'll they'll have uh, Mansoor and them play there. So um, uh, one of the one of the guys that is part of the minstrel bands, they come and like play the authentic World Cup music, the Cape Malay music. Um, and then there's a storyteller that comes. So like all of that history, they've they, they've really created um, 
this like showpiece to to keep the history alive and to share it with people that come and visit the city. Thank you all so much for joining me. And um, I know this is an industry film. I hope it gets purchased so people uh, will be able to see the Umbrella Man escape from Robin Island. Now, because this is a an industry film, will any of you be at TIFF to represent the film or is it just a sales agent? Uh, well, the producers are there and then John is there as well, the director um, that you met last year. So he's up there and he'll be at the screening um, and then the producers will be there as well. Okay. Well, again, thank you so much for um, enlightening the audience about this film so they can watch for it. And thanks for sharing your personal experiences about the BOCAP and about filming. And uh, yay, women. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Donna. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you you so much, uh, Keenan. I don't mean to, you know, underplay your role in in the (laughs) film because you're, you're, you're so funny. You're hilarious in this film. Thanks, Donna. (laughs) All right. If you joined midway through that last interview, my guests were Shamila Miller, Bronte Snell, and Keenan Arison talking about The Umbrella Men, Escape from Robin Island, a film that is screening at the Toronto International Film Festival for the industry delegates. This is not available as a public screening. I wish them luck in getting the film sold so that one day you can see it in your local theater or maybe on a streaming platform. You're listening to The More the Merrier with Donna G on CIUT 89.5 FM.
Thank you so much for tuning in to The More the Merrier with Donna G. A reminder, at TMTM with Donna G, just the letter G, my Instagram and Facebook handles. You can link directly to my podcast from my Instagram. Just click link in bio to listen to previous shows. Music on today's show was provided by Zenobia Salik. Sapphire Blue was the track that I played, and it's from an oldie but a goodie. Sala Mendi Masti, two-set CD, and that's I believe that's from 2005. And then you heard Jolene Como from the Habari Music Festival, performed by Lorraine Klassen and the daughter of Tandy Klassen, who was very famous um, in the 50s and 60s before someone threw acid in her face because they were jealous. And at that time, she was an amazing singer, a cover girl, and uh, the Marilyn Monroe of her day in South Africa. And talking to the cast from The Umbrella Men, not quite the same area, but it reminded me of the Shabines that um, a lot of the singers used to sing in back in the day. So I hope you enjoyed Lorraine Klassen's Jolene Como. Leaving you now with a memory from Tiff many, many years ago, Bend It Like Beckham. Remember that movie? That was Kira Knightley's first feature film. She was a high school student um, when she went out for those auditions. And of course, Parminder Nagra as the lead character. Leaving you now with a track from that movie. And this is a different version of Hot, Hot, Hot. This is by Been a Mystery. Take care. See you next week. <laughs>